Hi, I'm Noel McDermott. Welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. Hi, I'm Noel McDermott and this is Men's Radio Station with Wellbeing Wednesdays and this is Wednesday evening, if you're listening to it on Wednesday evening of course. If you're listening to this as a podcast some other time, it's not Wednesday evening. Um, might be. It, it might be. It could be a Wednesday evening. It could be another could be. Wednesday, couldn't it? It could be, just not this Wednesday <laughs> evening. It's the Schrodinger's cat version of a live radio broadcast. The, the reality is depending on how you see it and where you see it, um, which is the la- latest version of the back- Irish backstop, apparently. <laughs> They're using Schrodinger's cat. Sometimes it'll be there if you want it to be there and not there if you don't want it to be there. There you go. So there you go. All sorted. That's it. Brexit sorted. Oh, no, he talked about Brexit. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I'm melting. <laughs> I'm melting. Oh, God, we've started off well. It can only go downhill from here. Um, so welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. We've got Robin Hadley in the house. Yay, Robin Hadley. Hello. Hello, who's done some amazing research on uh, the impacts of um, childlessness on men. Uh, long overdue, really, I should say, um, and sort of looking at uh, this whole issue. So we'll be exploring that uh, and also finding out more about Robin. Um, before we jump into the show, as you know, this is a radio show. This is live, unless it's not and you're listening to it as a podcast. But if you are listening to it live, I guess you'll know because um, I've just done that. So if you don't, yeah, if it, I've just done that. So Facebook Live, you'll see that. But if it's a podcast, you won't see what I've just done. So you know it's not live. Um, so if you see me doing that, it's live, uh, which means you can join us, which would be great. Um, we've got two ways you can join us. We've got a Skype phone number, which sounds like a normal landline, British landline, but you can call it from anywhere in the world and you'll get through to us. Um, and the number is coming up. There's going to be a little jingle. Oh two oh three two nine oh double four double one. That's the number. I love it so much. I'm going to have it again. Go on, go on, Lucky. That's actually me in the jingle. Is it? No. Oh. Of course it's not. I thought you just were like an accent man. <laughs> no, there's no way that's me. I wish it was me. I think it's great. I wish I could jingle like that. Got any jingle? My life. You can't jingle? I can't jingle, no, no. James can jingle. Jingle James can jingle. Of course. But Jingle James is no longer in the house. No. Um, but uh, that's the number to call. We would really love to hear from you uh, and have your comments and thoughts and reactions um, if you'd like to join in that way. Uh, there's another way you can join us, which is via Facebook Live. You know it's Facebook Live. You can see me doing this then you know it's Facebook Live and it's live. Um, and you join us on Facebook Live, just go to Facebook, um, search for Men's Radio Station and uh, up it will pop. Get onto the Men's Radio Station page and then click the live button now um, and you can join in. Uh, it'd be lovely to hear from you all. We've already got a few people on. Hello, Lee. Uh, we can hear you all. We can hear you as well. And uh, is that Half Pint Vicuni? Is that a real name or did you make that up, Half Pint? But there you go. You're welcome. Whether it's real or made up, I don't care. You're welcome to join us. Um, and he's saying, wow, it's a nice one. And it is a nice one. I think it's a really good one today. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so um, do join us and um, you'll, we'll see the comments and uh, we can respond to them and Robin can respond to them. Um, and um, so uh, I think that's all the need for furniture stuff I need to do. How are you, Luke? Yeah, very good. Very good. Great. Have you had a good week? 
Yeah, I, I caught you I off did. guard then, didn't I? Yeah, I wasn't ready. It's like, oh my god, he's just asked me. <laughs> he's a talking question. to me. <laughs> what were you doing? Were you watching something on? No, I was just checking all that everything was all running smoothly, which it, which it is. It's a nice, okay, it's a, it's a okay. nice one. You're doing your job for once. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't normally happen. That's that's. I caught you out doing your job. No, that's a bit like catching you out doing something else, which is even more embarrassing. <laughs> I actually caught you doing your job. No, how surprising is that? No, I can't believe that's myself. very rare. That's never yeah. going to happen again. But that's why I was so shocked because I'm actually doing <laughs> that's something. A, that's a sort of like a blood moon. It will come every forty years or something like that. Um, so there you go. That's the only piece of work Luke's going to do for the whole of his career, and we've seen it. Fantastic, and it's an amazing piece of work. Well done, Luke. It's like a special eclipse, isn't it? <laughs> it was <laughs> a, an eclipse of something. Yeah, and pulley chairs. Up. Uh, we don't want to say that okay so back to robin welcome robin you're up in manchester that's why we're um looking at computers uh, and the computer screen so welcome robin how are you i'm good thanks and thanks so much for having me on the show oh, it's, it's, it's going to be our, really enjoyable i think it's, it's our pleasure robin it's really our pleasure um so welcome um is, is your wife bringing you any any more tea no that's it you only get it's one cup of tea a day cup. that's it and only you... in the evening, before <laughs> nine o'clock. Yeah, you only there's, get... water... there's a tea shed. It's a tea shed, that's right. What about a tea cosy? You could wear the tea cosy while you're with us. Um, that'd be cool. Well, yeah, yeah, you never know. So, uh, welcome. Hey. You're up in Manchester, I believe. Yes, lovely, dark Manchester. <laughs> yeah. What's your favourite yeah, thing for... about Manchester? Well, tell me what your favourite thing about Manchester, Robin. Uh, actually, it's my back garden. I'm really liking it at the moment. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> All right, everybody, if you're up in Manchester, you go to Robin's Back Garden. What's your address? We'll get them all up there. Why do you like it at the moment? What's so good about your back uh, garden? Because I created a, a wildflower meadow. Oh, you're uh, kidding me. A meadow. It's a couple of metres by a couple of metres, so it's hardly a meadow, but a patch. And it, it all flowered, and it was lovely, and the bees were coming, and the butterflies. Oh, nice. It's been a really sunny day today. So, again, the bees were around, and one or two butterflies. And it's just... We're not far from the airport. Just nice to have that little oasis sort yeah. of thing there. And I created it as well. Man. It worked for a stranger. Years of uh, killing things, planting them and killing them. Yeah. <laughs> Something worked. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm an absolute mass murderer when it comes to plants. Absolutely death. I mean, they, they die as soon as they hear me. It's like they just immediately jump off the shelf and kill themselves because it's like, I'm going to die at his hands. It'll take six months, but he'll kill me. Um, so uh, uh, you know, I just over water. That's my problem. <laughs> I'm too yeah, loving. Well, I'm too giving. Yes. Well, we hardly have any water up in Manchester, so that's not a problem. You hardly have any water. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Seriously, uh, it's, it's the people of Manchester. Uh, Mancunians are really yeah. uh, fun. I think. But there yeah. again, I'm a Mancunian, so I'm probably biased. I love Manchester. I think it's great. I, every time I go up there, I have a great time. Um, and the city centre these days is really sparkling. And it's a sort of amazing. It investment. is. Yeah. I'm often yeah. lost there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some really nice stuff going on there. Um, when, so, did this, when, when did this building come up? <laughs> yes, quite. It's a bit like London, isn't it? Oh, hang on. Yeah. They've just they've yeah. just changed the whole of London overnight and um, all of that sort of stuff. Um, so you're joining us live from Manchester, which is wonderful. Um, have you always been in? Is that where you were born and brought up, Manchester? It is. Yes, Old Trafford, Manchester, is where I was born and brought up. You were born in Old Trafford in the football stadium. Yeah, uh, halftime entertainment those days a lot different. <laughs> we're just we're just you wouldn't get away with it. We've got the local Guiney Ward here this afternoon, boys, and uh, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. Were you an own goal? Yeah. Uh, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. 
possibly actually yes i was just working out what you meant by that uh I, yeah the defenders yeah. Well, against the run of play against the run of play scored <laughs> So you dead fell. Oh my god, I scored. Well done. Against the run of lane. So um so I was just about to say something silly like how old were you when you were born? I really actually was gonna ask that question. <laughs> that would have been classic. If I'd asked that yeah. question without being aware of it, that would have been absolute sort of radio gold. Uh, but there yeah. you go. <laughs> so, I was very mature. Were you? How old were we you yeah. when you were born, Robin? Oh, about ninety five. <laughs> about ninety five. That's right. In emotional yeah. years. Yeah. Well done. Um, yeah. So um, you were born and brought up in Manchester. Tell me about. Oh, yeah. you had a family, I guess. Brothers, sisters, mum, yeah. dad. Tell us about it. I was born in uh, Old Trafford. Is a working class area, very close to Trafford Park, which was a heavily industrialised uh, area then. Uh, not so much now. And I was seven of eight uh children i've got uh four sisters and uh well i had three brothers but one uh died so two brothers left now uh yeah so that was really exciting uh upbringing so a large a large family sort of your own football team was that what your parents were aiming to do you had manchester united manchester city and then there was going to be Manchester well, Irregulars a, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, would it be a netball team with eight, with a couple of subs? So yeah, you, would be, you wouldn't have been allowed to do football in those days with girls. No. Nah. These days, no. of course, the uh, women's football game is far more entertaining than the men's football game. Yeah, I saw the um, <laughs> I saw the women's FA Cup final, the best game of football I've ever seen. Oh, cool. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. I think football's boring to watch mostly. So there's nothing yeah. much happens for like decades, and then suddenly somebody <laughs> screams, and you go, "When did what happened?" And you sort of happen to be looking the other way because you're picking your nose in boredom or something, and then you have to go and watch it on television afterwards on the on the replay. But the women's FA Cup final was absolute gold, football oh, gold. Um, so I, I missed it. Thoroughly recommend it. I'm uh, sorry. Thoroughly recommend it. Yeah. Um, so uh, you were born. You had a huge family. And, yeah, uh, working class family struggle for money, or you know what was what was. That oh like? yeah, absolutely. Uh, drinking out of jam jars, yeah. hand me down clothes, all that. Hand me down bathwater as well. Actually, I remember that uh, we used to have to share the same bathwater. <laughs> like, I yeah. just, I just know there's about a million millennials listening to this who've literally fainted in disgust. <laughs> Sort of yeah. the idea of sharing, but we we did every Sunday was bath day. Absolutely, once yeah. a week, whether you needed it or not. That's right. Um, I never needed it, of course. I was just okay. so so beautiful. I still am. And yeah, um, absolutely. And then the rest of the week was um, stand being stood. I was young enough to do this, being stood in the sink, and being mopped yes. down. Sinky baths. Sinky baths. That's right. Yes. Luke is looking at me like so confused. I'm an alien. So confused. <laughs> this is the joys of working class culture when you yeah. had immersion heaters for water and they were so bloody expensive that you didn't turn the immersion <laughs> heater on except once a week. And the yeah. rest of the time when you wanted to wash, you would put in the sink in the in the kitchen and uh you'd boil some water on the hob in a pan and that was used. <laughs> Not the boiling water because it would have killed you. But yeah, you'd probably put the boiling water in first, and put some cold, yeah, then put was... the child in. And then you were uh, soaped down while you were standing in <laughs> the sink. Yeah, it's just it like such... the look on Luke's face Very at the odd. moment is gold. <laughs> I really wish I could. Yeah. I really wish people could see his face at the moment. It's like allegedly, well, I'm very confused. Allegedly with a cloth, but more like sandpaper. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was Do you remember that? Uh, there was that. Um, uh, oh God, what's his name? The big yin. Um, uh, the Scottish Billy Connolly did a fantastic sketch about uh, Dettol and Wirebrush 
the British Army um, sort of uh, recipe for any sort of malady. And uh, yes. it's brilliant. Go and check it out. Uh, it's one of the best, uh, I think, comedy sketches ever ever done. Mm. Uh, apart from the show at the moment, which um, is comedy gold, I think, at the moment. It is, actually. Um, so you, we were sort of similar, because I come from quite a large family as well. So Irish Catholic mm. and every sperm was um, valued and precious and all that sort of stuff and weighed and measured. Mm. Um, and um, so there were five of us, four of us now, because one of my sisters died. Um, so the five of us plus the two parents, so quite a large family. Um, and the thing yeah. I got from being from a large family was um, the closeness that we had. It was very intense, the mm. relationships. Was it similar in yours or were you, you sort of distant? Oh, absolutely. I think there's something you pick up from that has been in a large family. You can walk in a room and you really pick up on the emotions flying around mm. um, and the body language. That's just ingrained. Yeah. Uh as you go along and also uh team being a part of a team because if you're a large family you can't all be pulling in a different direction yeah. one or two can but the others have to uh, make sure so we always had turns for washing up or cleaning and that sort of thing and that was just uh, the way it was and one of the things um, that happened in my family I don't know it's the same in yours but but there was always a sort of challenge for resources it wasn't it was partly the fact that we, we, we didn't have a lot of money anyway, um, but it was also yeah. partly because a lot of us. So it was always a competition for resources, whether they were practical or emotional. Um, you know, and I remember, for example, like, because uh, we were Catholic, Friday was um, um, fish and chips. So it was fish right. because you weren't allowed to eat meat on a Friday. And uh, again, Luke is looking at me like I'm some alien. Well, I'm vegetarian anyway. I don't eat, eat meat even. I, I think you would have been illegal to be vegetarian in my youth. <laughs> I think it actually was. I think people were arrested. One of my granddad yeah. was a, a veggie back in 64. And he was like one there of the first. There was a hotline for there were hotlines for vegetarians. Yeah. They thought he was mental. Yeah. You phone up the police. This is this the vegetarian hotline. <laughs> yes, my cousin's vegetarian. Ah, we'll come round now and arrest them. That was like that. Um, I think it would be a spoiled child hotline, wouldn't it? It would be spoiled child. child. Spoiled. Yes. Picky, picky. Yes. There's there's children starving in Africa. Get out there, you gob. That was that, and that. don't say post it to them. Yes, that's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we remember that one. Anyway, so we had um, yeah. fish and chips. And my, me and my brother, our job was to butter the loaf of bread um, to make the chip butties. And so then, then the fish and chips come back. You'd have a little bit of the fish and then the chips were shared out. And then you had to, as quickly as possible, make all the chip butties before mm. anybody else got hold of the chips. And then you had to guard yeah. them with your life. Because if you took your eyes off them, I guarantee one of my, my brother or one of my sisters would have stolen my food. So I grew up like wolfing my food down. I still do. I, I'm still it's like, okay. I, I finished my food in about mm. one third of the time of anybody else. Everybody just thinks, is there something wrong with your It's No, it's just coming from a large family that wasn't very rich. Yeah. Was that similar Absolutely. for you? Yeah. Very much so. And sometimes the others would sort of uh, collude to distract you. That's right. So the they bastards. Could get you the food. <laughs> yes. Many of my mum was a superb ringmaster about, about these things. He was like a, literally a lion tamer. And you can mm. imagine it with a chair and a whip and these snarling children. <laughs> she would just <laughs> keep us under control somehow. I, I mean, I wish I had those skills. I'd be, you know, mm. running a, a major multinational now if I had my mum's skills. So, sadly enough, she just terrified me. So, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't have the skills. I just have the fear mm. of sort of angry women. Ah! Like that. So, um, and um, but there was also, I think, you know, from my upbringing, there was a lot of closeness as well. There's a lot of fighting uh, and drama, but there was a lot of closeness. 
yeah, they didn't last that long because there was always a, something else leapfrogging <laughs> it in yes, importance, that's... like food or <laughs> yes, that's right. or uh, blaming but... somebody else. <laughs> and what was it? I mean, were you a happy family in general? Yeah. Was it a sort of happy childhood? Yes. Yeah. 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 It was. It was uh, very eventful. It was yeah. full of drama every day. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, and we are close, and we still get together quite regularly. Uh, once every two months, something like that, uh, when we can. So right. yeah, yeah. So, and, so we're very supportive of each. So other. you were number seven. You're sixty now, aren't you? So yeah, you must be going up to near eighty now. Some of them. That's right. Uh, Seventy-two <laughs> is the oldest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And yeah. are your folks still around, or did they pass? No, no, they passed. My mum, my dad passed in the early 1980s. Uh, age 60 which yeah. is typical in those days he just was ill at work and then uh got ill health retirement and died basically which is pretty common in those days and my mom died in uh the mid 90s uh, age 74 right so statistically they're bang on hmm. yeah but uh, yeah a big uh, a loss yeah, yeah uh, absolutely you carry your losses with you yeah absolutely so um a close dramatic sort of working class large mm. family and um and and uh, I, I you know you i mean the way you're talking about your family obviously you've you felt a lot of love i mean there was a lot of mm. so uh, attention and yeah there, there, there definitely was because there was a cascade of care mm. from the older ones down because obviously my my mum and dad couldn't do it all all the time particularly as my dad worked uh nights hmm. um so during the day he was asleep for most of the time yeah. or getting ready for work um so what yeah did he do so then? Like, what did he do that he working? worked he was uh a printer's reader <laughs> so in in the old uh hot yeah. press days hot yeah, metal yeah. days yeah. uh on the manchester guardian it. uh well it was thompson house and the thompson papers that were printed there, okay. which I th I was going to say the Daily Globe, but I don't think it was the Globe, but I think mm. it was called something in the 60s. There were quite a few papers. No, the Daily Globe was the one the for Superman. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. Well, <laughs> maybe it real. was Superman. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was Superman. There's yeah. a little bit of your childhood yeah, getting mixed up there. It was yeah. the big ones uh, okay. uh, going around. Daily Mirror, definitely. He was working yeah. with that in yeah, yeah, the yeah. 70s wow. uh, and, and 80s. Yeah, yeah. So he was... Uh, uh, he was doing, uh, yeah. Did your mum yeah, go to work worker. as well? My mum did. I mean, she was like, she did. She worked part time in the library. I think it was a bit of an escape for her, mm. the quietness. <laughs> and she, so you've she, just uh, she broken one of my and... just broken one of my childhood fantasies. I, I always thought my mum was an angel for going out to work, but it wasn't. She was just trying to get get away from us. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the truth of it. She'd had enough of us, so getting a job was yeah. like relief in comparison to us. And a little bit of money as a bonus. Yeah, a little bit of money as a bonus. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And what was school like for you then? You sort of school was a bit hard. When I uh, when I was born, I had struggled breathing, and uh, an outcome of that. Well, I, I was very lucky. There was a midwife there, and she had some oxygen in her car. Yeah. So uh, she revived me and all that sort of thing. But I'm uh, got a thirty percent hearing deficiency, so I was very quiet in school. Um. Because I'm always trying to listen and catch up with stuff. So school was a bit ambivalent because you're right. quiet, you're not picked on. Uh, but I was good at football and I was okay at cricket, so I wasn't picked on, picked on 
uh, sort of lower down the picky on league, but not right at the bottom. I was quite. I mean, uh, I was quite lucky because I got protected by my older siblings, even though they were girls. They were frightening girls. <laughs> you didn't want right. to mess with my sisters, to be honest. Right. Um, so they sort of protected me. So I was allowed to be quite weird at school, to be honest. I was quite weird. and uh, But I got away with it somehow. Uh, I think it's because my sisters were mad and uh, frightening. <laughs> so, right. I was, so I was very lucky in that way. Uh, I loved school, but you not so much. You, you wasn't uh, really this game. No, it was a, a bit of a mm, time for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I left school with uh, only a few O levels, uh, really, but then managed to get a youth opportunities job. And, the uh, well-known youth opportunities program. You were a yop kid. I was a yop. I remember the youth yeah. opportunities program. Bloody hell, this is going down Working memory lane. Really. That's right. The yeah, yeah, the yoppies. Um, so you got a job in the youth opportunities program, which is cool. Yeah. And um, what was that? Yeah. What did you? I was a, a scientific and technical photographer. So at uh, Manchester University, so I did that for thirty odd years, yeah. um, and then transferred due to circumstances to do with technology and cutbacks and stuff like that, and trained as a counsellor in the early noughties. Yes, and I did that training because you could do it in small blocks, and I wasn't very confident about my education. And so right. each time I did it, I thought, well, I've got through this one, I'll fail the next time. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I know, I know I've reached my limit then. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of education, sort of values around education, because that's quite a leap you've made from uh, having been a photographer for 30 years and suddenly you're a counsellor um, yeah. uh, with anxieties about education. So did you, I mean, did your time at school sort of make you feel like, oh, education's not for me, this is not the place for me? Or was that just I, a general thing around at the time? I think it was just, uh, you know, all my reports was uh, A for effort, B for attainment. Mm. And uh, that's sort of quite deming, really. Uh, that sort of gets built into you that, you know, you'll try hard, but you'll always be stuck in the mud. Uh, so was that an expectation thing on the part of the teachers? Low expectations of you? I think so. Um, I, I was doing OK. I was never quite top. I was just in the top 10, maybe, but it was a secondary modern or boys school right. uh, in a working class area. So, uh, so what, the, the expectation there, you would, uh, you don't really need an education anyway. It's like you're going to go off and do some trade or something. Right at the back of you, you'll get a, an apprenticeship and you'll be set for life hmm. uh, in, in the factory doing I mean, whatever. It's interesting these days that kids are required to stay at school till 18 now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of kids that I would couldn't stand school mm. and wanted to be out, and quite a lot did more or less drop out in the, the fourth and fifth years. Yeah, I, I knew people who were disappear, had disappeared from school by 15 and nobody bothered. That was it. Yeah. They'd gone, even though you're supposed to stay till 16. But they, I think my sister left when she was 15 as well. So it was pretty common in those days. I mean, the sort of education wasn't yeah. valued in the way it is now. Uh, going back, if you could go back in time, would you change that about your experience? Uh, yeah, I'd be born rich. Yeah. Given I that you can't do that, rich. I'm not going to give you that magic wand, but I'll give you the magic wand that allows you to go back and have a chat with that young man at school. Um, would you give him any advice about education school from this perspective? Or would you say, don't worry about it, it'll be fine? Uh, I think uh, I would say that uh, actually keep trying, keep 
doing what you're doing because uh, you're building up skills of resilience. Because you're postgraduate um, now, aren't you? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm a PhD, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you got your PhD. Yeah. You got your doctoral thesis. You did your doctors. So. Yeah, in 2015. So late. I'm a late onset. Right. Well, and, I mean, it's just interesting. You're, the, you're the same person, aren't you? The same person who yeah. the, the school said attainment B, who now has a PhD. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. interesting to think about. It is, and I wish I'd thought of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is interesting in that aspect. I don't. How could attainment B? Yeah. How could that be real as an assessment of you if you're now got a PhD? Because that's the top echelon of academia. Mm. Yeah. So that's not attainment B in my book, is it? You know, can't no. be. No, you're right. You're you're right. It's counselor. interesting. It's attainment A. It is. I mean, it's got to be an yeah. A star, to be honest. Um. So yeah. In terms of you know, oh, we're coming up to the advert soon, but it's. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it that. Because um, uh, I went back and did postgraduate studies after having failed as an undergraduate, and one of the things I went to—I went to university. I was the only one in my family that went, um, and then bombed out quite spectacularly. Um, but I, you know, uh, <clears throat> there was all that stuff about being working class and um, being a, a fish uh, out of water. I definitely was when I mm. went to university. I was unusual, unusual yeah. for my times. Nowadays, it would be pretty normal. But um, it's—I just. Thinking back on those times and how the education systems failed us, I think, uh, is quite interesting. Um, we're coming up to the adverts, and a sort of um, we're going to go to the adverts now and then come back and talk a bit more about your professional life and how you got from uh, attainment B to doctor, and <laughs> sort of what that journey is all about. And, and clearly, it's involved uh, a big uh, personal investment on your part and, and overcoming um, some of these early messages that were, frankly, quite shitty <laughs> the messages mm. that you were given um but we're going to go to the adverts now and uh while to do that i have to do something very technical i have to take a cable out and switch them over are you ready lukey we won't be able to hear you when you take that cable out probably. okay all right you won't be able to hear me when i take this cable out bye-bye hi i'm noel mcdammit welcome to wellbeing wednesdays on men's radio station My God, I just had to do something incredibly technical. I had to switch, switch over some cables. James, if you're not here, you, you'd be proud of me, mate. I actually managed to take one cable out of a hole, put the other one back in it. That's incredible. James spent like half an hour explaining that to us. You just said, James, if you're not here, then you'd be proud of me. Yeah, yeah. If you were like here, he's James, on. you'd be proud. <laughs> you should pass on the way he's dressed this evening. <laughs> My God. Um, so welcome back to Men's Radio Station, Wellbeing Wednesdays. And um, we have uh, Robin Hadley in the house. So we were talking about um, um, his childhood earlier on. And um, how did this guy get from attainment B, according to his teachers, to Dr. Robin Hadley? Uh, postdoctoral thesis, Dr. Robin Hadley, uh, who's done some extraordinary research as well on um, men and childlessness, which we'll be getting into soon, um, <clears throat> and what that's all about. Um, before we do that, just to uh, remind you that it is a uh, radio station, and you can call in and uh, join in. Uh, it's a the telephone give number we're going to give you. is actually a Skype number, so you can call it from anywhere in the world. And uh, young Mr. Lukey Skykwater. Uh, we'll uh, pick up the phone and get you on air. So, uh, are you ready with the jingle? Let's this is the number it. coming up. Oh, 
0203290441 We love that jingle. Thank you, Jingle James, for that. So do call us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, Robin's here to um, field any questions. Um, and uh, we can also join. You can also join us on uh, Facebook Live. So just go to Facebook and uh, have a search for Men's Radio Station. Um, that thing behind me. Oh, wrong, wrong finger. That one. That. Uh, hang on. Where does the finger? I can never work this out. Where the finger goes, but. Um, yeah, it's behind me anyway. Uh, if you're looking at Facebook Live, it's just behind me. Men's Radio Station. Uh, and then you can join in live. Uh, join the conversation. It'd be lovely to hear from you. We've got quite a few people with us um, this evening and lots of comments coming up. Um, so um, love to hear you. And then, again, Robin will answer your questions or comments and respond to your comments on Facebook. Um, so there's two ways you can join us. So uh, back to you, Robin. Um, so we'd got to the point where um, you'd left school with um, this idea that you were um, thick. <laughs> That's, you, you weren't you weren't up for much, and um, and then uh, you got a job as a photographer, um, mm. and you worked as a technical photographer, um, freelancing or in a, a somewhere. No, for the University of Manchester. Okay. So you worked for yeah. the University of Manchester, um, yeah, yeah. As a so, photographer, uh, my parents would have been very proud because, well, they weren't very proud, but they were happy that I had a regular, good job with a regular with a pension. That right. was their big thing. Yeah. To have a secure yeah. job with a pension. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you got, and that's what you did, and that's for... what I got. Yeah, and it was great advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you're very happy, and then how did your life progress? Then you were you had this job, I presume. You met yeah. some. I I met my first wife when I was in my mid twenties. She was a bit younger, nineteen, I think, something like that. Yeah. We got married. Actually, twenty four. Um, we got married and bought a house, all that sort of thing. When you could do that at that yeah. age. Yeah. And about four years after getting married, we split up. And yeah. Part of the reason for that was we started trying for a family okay. and i think we were both under uh, an immense amount of pressure to conform so in the arc of life just naturally expected to become a parent yeah that is what was going to happen and as our peers started to have kids and we weren't uh for me I, i'm just going to talk about me uh my feelings at that time were around how can I be a good provider? Am I going to bring in the money? What's going to happen? There's a big uh, fear for me at that time. Uh, and then uh, we split up. Uh, I kept the house and um, interest rates went up to 13%. Yeah. And I had very little money. So I was basically housebound for about two years. So I couldn't socialize. Uh, and then managed to get rid of the house and not lose anything, mm. which was remarkable and then started the dating scene again hmm. so i think i found a, a partner is really good very intense very loving and at one point she said to me um i really want your babies and at that point i thought actually you know what i can do this so there's something in that happened in that time that i'd matured that actually i can do this i can work way through there wasn't that internal pressure or internal narrative to mm. say well you've got how are you going to do this how are you going to do that mm. uh, but but then we split up and that was in my mid uh, 30s and I was really broody then I mean intensely tensely uh, broody and mm. also 
extremely jealous of uh, my uh, colleagues and friends who are becoming dads at what seemed to be an, uh, at, at will. And I just felt this sense of being left behind. Uh, one of the guys I worked with, and we'd actually been at school together and happened to end up in the same place. And we used to have a brew together. And uh, when he became a dad for the first time, I had to walk around the building the opposite way to avoid him. I, I couldn't I couldn't speak to him. I was so uh, jealous. Uh, and un, um, unusually... What was, the, uh, once... what was the brooding? It was a sort of a, a sense of I need to be a father and, or was it a sense of uh, I have to do this to um, fulfil expectations, I'm... I'm not doing my bit in society. What was what was it about? I, it, it was very much about being off track uh, compared to my peers, and also I think uh, there was ex societal expectation, but actually also there was also a biological urge for me. I felt something. Excuse me. Okay. Um, deep inside that I wanted to be a dad. Right. Uh, so there was. The outside expectation, there was a historical expectation, yeah. but there's also, I I'm, I'm strongly believe there's a, a, a definite urge, and particularly around that age of 35. Was there, uh, was there an event that triggered it then? Was it the split up well, with your partner? Or? I think split up with my partner hmm. because, you know, I'd come to that realisation, actually, I could be a dad, I'm, I'd be a good dad, and I didn't have to do... Uh, the traditional dad things of just being a provider. I could be all sorts of things. And maybe it was a bit of the time as well that where becoming a stay-at-home dad was coming onto the the social narrative at that time. Yeah. So maybe there's a, a mix of things going on. But for me, yeah, uh, absolutely weighed down with uh, broodness. I'm just going to switch to my research now. So in my research, what I found was around about 35 for men was like peak broodiness and that's to do with how they see age they don't want to be an old dad so when uh, your child's going to university ah. or going to uh, the pub those sort of milestone events where you yeah. want to be a gatekeeper and guide your child through they don't want to be seen an old dad yeah they want to be fully functional and stuff like that um Actually, it ties up biologically as well, but socially, that, that's the thing. And I think that was the thing for me. And that's probably fed into the thing of uh, being off track and slipping behind on the, on the timing of, hmm. of things. Think, and then... If I think sorry. back, I think my first um, um, connection with broodiness as a, a, a guy that didn't have children was that a bit earlier. Um, and it was um, one of my early partners at university. Oh, I'm not going to name, but... Um, who became pregnant and um shockingly for me because i i'd been brought up with this male notion of you know you try and avoid um children at all costs you sort of you know uh, be very careful about being weighed down with that obligation but i was 22 and she was a little bit older and um she became pregnant and then she had an ectopic pregnancy and i just remember being absolutely devastated mm. um I, I mean obviously i was very upset for her um, but also very devastated by the idea of the loss of this potential child. I mean, it was just extraordinary feeling. Uh, and mm. I was actually, uh, I have to say, completely unprepared for that feeling um, because yeah. I'd been tutored as a guy, I'd been tutored into this idea that uh, what we did was we avoided that complex, that, mm. that baggage, that 
um, um, that commitment uh, like the plague. And in, in many mm. ways, I mean, I think a lot of my my male friends um, for a long time had admired the fact that I was childless and, and all this sort of stuff. But actually, it's, it's, it's just been pretty shitty at times, if I'm honest about it. And really up, quite mm. upsetting at times as well. So... Um, but it, it, it's sort of interesting. In terms of your research, what else were you learning from guys about sort of their experience of childlessness? Well, the, I think the big thing is there's so many um, factors that can influence childlessness. For men, one of the things would be uh, the economics of actually, uh, I've got to put that aside to be the provider, to, to do those jobs. And that, I think particularly these days when... Uh, hmm. There's short-term contracts, working away, working a lot, odd hours on computing, that sort of thing. That that element gets pushed to a side. And yeah. certainly in the UK, if you're trying to save up to get accommodation, you know, uh, in the Maslow's hierarchy of stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, then, you know, security is one of the basic ones and getting a roof over your head and regular food in then other things come in after that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's a big thing. Choice partners, you know, if your partner doesn't want to be a parent, mm. then you, but you love your partner, then you're going to stick uh, with her. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, so there's all sorts of things. I mean, uh, for involuntary childlessness, it's, associated with people going through infertility treatment hmm. it's labeled you know if uh, you withdraw from uh, fertility treatment or it doesn't work then you're bracketed as involuntary childless mm -hmm. but actually there's a whole range of people out there who haven't been through treatment who mm -hmm. wanted to be parents but didn't become them for lots of different reasons yeah. and yeah. part of the issue is they're not counted mm. they're not any stats or anything like that yeah so and i think particularly for men there's not a narrative around wanting to be a dad or what happens if you lose uh, uh a baby if there's a miscarriage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh any sort yeah. of loss well let's come back again come, let's come back to yeah, before you doing the research so mm -hmm. um there you are um a working class guy doing the best he can in life um mm. and you're on your second relationship and that doesn't work out um that's right and so uh, no 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 i'm just i'm just wondering how common a narrative that now that now is uh is now for guys um that you know there's a multiplicity of relationships rather than you know the expected one you get married you settle down you have a job you have kids da, 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 da. that was the yeah. story that we were told um, yeah, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's it's clearly not uh, the reality of what happens. I mean, we have a multiplicity of family sort of dynamics going on these oh. days. But you were going through this, but you, you're in your mid-30s and suddenly it strikes mm. you. Um, yeah. oh, I'm childless. I'm a, I'm a dad without kids. Um, yeah. Did that motivate you to want to do something about that? I mean, did, did you then go, right? Because I, 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 you know, I can tell you about female friends of mine who were reaching the biological clock age and they didn't have kids and they just literally went outdated and um, and they found somebody to um, be the sperm donor. Well, I mean, in, in mm. quite a brutal way in many ways. Um, yeah. Did you, did that happen with you? Because I, I mean, I, 
have my own stories about that. And but um, what happened yeah. to you uh, during that time? Well, I've never been a a player as such. Hmm. Uh, I uh, I don't have that social skill, uh, if it is a skill, yeah. um, to do that. And so actually, I think possibly because I've got four sisters, I, I really like women. I like to get to know about them. And, you know, I'm uh, a friend to a, a lot of women. I think that was frustrating to me in my mid-30s is that I had lots of uh, women friends but wouldn't go the step into being in a relationship. Anyway, I did find uh, a woman who's now my wife uh, um, to have a relationship. She's a bit older than me, and yeah. her job was in uh, community health. She's a community health uh, practitioner. Yeah. And her be this was around when I was in my late thirties now, so it's been about four years, and uh, we got together. We we're in love all that sort of thing. And I sort of raised this about uh, becoming uh, a dad. I just bought a, a house. I was decorating wallpapering, which is a job I hate. I mean, yeah. things to do when you're dead, wallpapering and ironing. And she she lived in another part of the country that time. So she phoned me up and she said, oh, you know, how are you doing? And I was really miserable. And again, my friend had just become a dad for the second time. So all this was going on. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm really broody. And she said to me, well, you know, I'm, I want to have kids very strongly from my mid-20s to my late, to my mid-30s. Mm. But now, because of my knowledge and experience, I, I don't want to be an older mother with the risk of having a child with special needs mm -hmm. because I've dealt with so many families mm. and I know what that entails. And I don't think I'm physically or emotionally right for that. So if, if you want to become a dad, you're going to have to look for somebody else. Hmm. And uh, that that's fine. And I really thought to myself, well, you know, here I am, 39. Where do I go? Who do I know? Balanced up against uh, a fantastic woman who I love. What do I do here? Hmm. And I chose love, uh, listeners. Hmm. I chose love. Hmm. Um, and, we're, and we're still together. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, so that's then uh, in my mid forties, changed yeah. career, started going into counselling. So is this and was this the change that brought you into counselling? Do you think that sort of uh, that was that was more an economic change? Uh, work was uh, getting rid of okay. service staff, and so I was looking to go somewhere else. And so and the great thing about counselling, as I said before, was you could do it in bite-sized pieces. So you can build it up. I mean, I'm so I'm not convinced by that narrative, and I, maybe because I am a therapist, oh, it, it right. doesn't seem to make sense to me. I've, um, it's it's um, quite a big shift in direction in anybody's life to go from what you were doing to then going yeah. to training and counselling, and the the idea that you did that shift because it was convenient <laughs> to sort of, I'm yeah. not quite sure I'm convinced by that. Well, I mean, what was okay. the draw? Do you think you know? I'm nosy. Yeah. I, I really, I, I really like to know what, you know, why, why did somebody behave like that? What's behind that uh, is one thing. But also, I'm really interested in what people say. I, I really like people's stories. And, and maybe that's because I come from a big family that all the, the, my siblings above me had interesting stories to tell. So maybe I'm just used to being. Uh, in that environment 
So uh, it fitted nicely with me to do one-to-one counselling, and also I'm sure I it think... did. But I'm, I'm, I'm in, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to say yeah. Over, yeah, no, uh, no. I'm, 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 if I'm listening to this as an outside observer, which I am, I'm going. Mm, I'm not sure I'm getting that story from him. How? Um, because there must have been something else going on that you were drawn into this field. I mean, and again, sort of, you're presenting it in this sort of quite. Um, amusing way, you know. It was mm-hmm. just economics, Noel. It was just I'm nosy, and um, but it is still there. Must be something about you or in you um, that was interested in this. Some internal motivation. These all seem like quite external, extrinsic motivations. I'm wondering what what was um, drawing you in. What um, I, I guess my belief is this: people get drawn into training in counselling and psychotherapy because of their own internal push factors. Yeah. They're often looking at themselves in the training. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and that's what the training is all about. So this, the, I haven't heard your internal push factors. I've heard your pull factors. Uh, well, you know, yeah, yeah. I was losing my job. Okay, all right. Well, you're losing your job. But people lose their jobs and they go off and train in all sorts of things. Mm. And rarely do they go off and train in counselling. So I'm just wondering what the internal urge was and whether it was connected to um, this sense of childlessness that you had and... Um, uh, whether it, it was somehow connected to that need, because you then got drawn into doing that research, um, yeah. which seems interesting to me if I look at mm. it. So if I'm sitting in a session with you, which I am now, uh, I, mm. I I begin to look at these things. And say, oh, that's interesting. I'm sort of, I'm wondering mm. how that fits that in. Fit. You know, how does mm. it fit? Yes, so, exactly. And that's a lovely piece of mirroring. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's exactly what I uh, I'm like. You know, yeah. how does that fit? In? How does this work? Way back in the 70s, there was, a, I think, uh, by somebody on telling the ape in my living room or something like that. Okay, yeah. That, that, that fascinated me. Yeah. That, you know, uh, sort of evolutionary, why we behave like we behave, what's behind that. So that's an interest. I think with counselling, it's about people. It's something around... I think, well, a giving something back, but actually giving something back person to person. So maybe there's a reflective acknowledgement of myself existing through somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just um, getting some comments through on Facebook and I got distracted by them. That's fine. I thought you were making notes. So um, we're getting some comments in. So I, I just want to hold on to those. Um, so it seems like to me, as an outside observer, some actually quite radical shift and happened in you, um, or it would look like that. But actually, it, 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 you know, because because of the way I know how people work, I guess it was something that was building up in you for a long time, um, and, and, sh- and then it it just coalesced at this point. Yeah, I think so. Uh- when I was working, a lot of the students would come to me with their their issues. Yeah, I don't. So I don't know. There's something about me that people uh, found easy to talk to, and that could be to do with my hearing, because I listen. Yeah, but I had to listen. That was a whether it's natural or not. Yeah. But I tend to stum up while somebody else is speaking. Um, apart from when you're speaking, obviously, and I'll jump all over you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe there's a. Like you said, there's a build-up of different factors that coalesce at that yeah. time. I, I think for me that 
it really was in those days you could do that stepping stone of basic counseling skills hmm. uh i don't know medium counseling skills advanced counseling skills mm-hmm. and then go on to a diploma hmm. so that, that was very that fitted in with me how i felt about me yeah, yeah. and uh, the fact i didn't really think i was good enough yeah. and so i'd have to push myself all the time uh, having done the counselling diploma, I did the master's, but that was a massive decision for me. Really thought over that, you know, I'm a working class lad. Okay, I've got through this far, but it's a master's. It's going to be really, you've got to write a, a big book. Um, and it's a master's is where I got into looking at uh, childless men hmm. because cause it was counselling master's. It had to be something you experienced. And I just said to my... Um, Supervisor, I'm going to list, uh, name check Liz Ballinger at Manchester University now because brilliant supervisor, brilliant counsellor. Hmm. Uh, I said, you know, I was really broody in my 30s. And she went, I never heard anything about that. Do that. And that's when I found out there was really nothing about men and the desire for fatherhood mm-hmm. and what that means uh, for them. And uh, it sort of struck me, you know, I mean, what, I'll tell you what's interesting to me about on, that statement is that, you know, being a father and a desire for fatherhood has been around and celebrated in all cultures mm. until ours, mm. which is fascinating. So if you look at yeah. any culture, historically, transcultural, uh, you will see the celebration of fatherhood. But somehow it doesn't happen in ours. And you're mm. right, in, certainly in the psychological literature, you know, it's, I can't think, I mean, there's, the only person I can think of ever talking about fatherhood is um, the only therapist, really, apart from you know freud stuff but in modern times is steve bidolf who's a uh, australian therapist who wrote things like um fatherhood and raising boys yeah. and and stuff like that um and he talks yeah. a lot about this but modern psychotherapy just doesn't talk about this subject at all no in sociology it's just coming through now really yeah. it a lot about fatherhood but i guess my thing is non-fatherhood yeah because well there's fatherhood there's also non-fatherhood yeah yeah. If, if you compare it to feminisms where uh, reproduction is a central core of it, is becoming a mother the best thing, most feminists think? Is it the worst thing? Mm. Is IVF uh, the the male gaze and uh, the patriarchal control yeah. of women? Yeah. Or is it actually uh, liberating for women? So but it's it, a massive thing. But I think, there's nothing like that for men. I Go think on, what sorry. we are talking about is the notion of fatherhood and non-fatherhood yeah. is part of that. Um, yeah, and the whole narrative doesn't exist. Yeah, you know, not even the one of being a father uh, no longer exists. What we have are some pretty awful stereotypical images of uh, guys being pretty shit at this thing. Um, yeah, and um, and and you know, the aspiration towards wanting to be and not being um, mm. doesn't get a look in um, because we we still don't even have a decent narrative around what a father is anymore. Um, not in modern western culture it certainly mm. isn't there um, and i remember doing some stuff ages ago working with um guys who'd become fathers and were single fathers and stuff like that uh, one mm. of the things that we noticed for example was that uh, when he, all these um parent and toddler groups weren't parent and toddler groups they were mother and toddler groups yeah and uh, Absolutely. if you turned up as a guy with a kid um you were uh, very viewed very suspiciously still to mm. this day um, to yeah. this day, um, um, sort of, and so the the idea of the inverse, the non-father, is um, isn't even beginning to get an idea. The idea that you know guys could want to be fathers and are not 
abusers and perverts and da 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 da. And are not yeah. people who carry loads of uh, destructive baggage. Because I, I mean, I do remember when I realised I could be a decent father, and it was quite late in life. Mm. And again, I want to sort of draw a link here into the conversation we were having about school. Your school taught you you were shit mm. at education. They were wrong. You got a postdoctoral. They were clearly wrong. You've got a postdoctoral thesis. So they were absolutely way off the mark. And the sort of school of society at the moment is telling us as guys that we're shit as fathers. And I think there's probably a lot of childless fathers out there um, who, uh, you know, uh, who are in that state of play because of these narratives that have existed in our culture. Um, we're, we're coming up to the advert, so I wanted to think about that. Um, okay. and it's a good place to start, and then we'll get back into the the conversation about this. It'd be lovely sure. to hear from other people if you've got um, uh, comments and thoughts and questions for Robin. We'll see. I think there will be a couple of questions um, from Facebook that we'll be able to pose to you, but if you want to ring in, that'd be great. We're going to the adverts now, and I've got to remember to change the cables over, which is done by the very technical thing of... Hi, I'm Noel McDermott. Welcome to Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station. This is going to make Luke freak out. I love making Luke freak out by not I was even talking. nodding at you. He was nodding at you. He's going, <laughs> and I'm like, going, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to freak you out, Luke. I love it. It's just every year, every week, he falls away. Welcome back. Uh, Wellbeing Wednesdays on Men's Radio Station here. Uh, Noel in the house with Lukey Skywalker and with Robin Hadley. Hi, Robin. Nice to Hi. have you back with us. And um, uh, it's a radio show, so we'd love you to join in. Um, there's a couple of ways you can join in, um, which is um, by Facebook Live. Um, I'm just confusing Luke there because I always say the phone number first. And he's getting ready to put the jingle on. I could see it. Um, there you go. Trips him off again. So by Facebook Live, join us. Um, go to Facebook and um, uh, 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 search Men's Radio Station and join us there. Uh, it'd be lovely to get your commentary and uh, so, um, your thoughts uh, on the subject tonight, which is um, childlessness in men. And uh, Robin's been doing some fantastic research around that. You can also um, call us. Um, there is a number. It's a Skype number, so you can call from anywhere in the world. And here comes the jingle for the number. Oh two oh three two nine oh double four double one. It would be wonderful to hear from you. Um, I'm wondering if we had a couple of comments. Um, that a um, couple of questions that. Well, I've got up. a question myself. Have you? Oh, um, Luke, let's hear your question. Obviously, you're talking a lot about, you know, did you ever think about adoption or fostering or anything like that at all? Because obviously that's another option where people, I know it's, and I know I always uh, compare it when people are infertile, they think about adoption or stuff like that. But I wondered if you, Robin, had ever, ever thought about that route. I think by the time um, I'm in my late 30s and... Uh, with my wife and we're talking that conversation we're getting a little bit old and it's it's not a simple procedure to do uh, adoption it takes quite a while also uh, I think the procedures have changed quite recently so adoption yeah it possibly but there's a lot more to it than just just you go to the office fill in a few forms and then you're going to get a baby there's not that many babies. There's a lot of 
kids out there of various ages and not only do you get the kid you get their background with them and some and that's from the guys i spoke to when i mentioned that quite often a it was age and stage in life so 40s 45 50 well they're probably not going to let me have a baby mm-hmm. but also i know somebody and they got a kid and uh, their kid's parent was a drug addict or whatever the the story was so adoption uh, yeah i understand that but it's not the simple solution in fact like a lot of things there's no simple solutions to complex mm. problems mm. there was also something you were saying as well about um there just came a point where you had to make that choice anyway mm. uh, and to deal with the loss um and the sense of loss uh, and also also accept what you had be grateful for what you did have which was a fantastic um partnership um, yeah with your wife and and that which more than compensated but I guess one of the things I hear you talking about is that um, uh, we don't hear the narrative about this loss um, that might you might experience as a guy. Certainly, I never got told it until I experienced it from what was quite a young age, around about mm. twenty or something like that. Um, and um, and then subsequently, I um, re-experienced it because I think I told you before the um, the show um, when we were doing our chat on the phone. Um, there were three times I could have become a father naturally. Um, mm. And um, so the first time was this ectopic pregnancy, um, which obviously didn't work. Uh, the second time, um, my ex partner, the my partner at the time, now my ex partner, um, decided to terminate herself, um, and uh, nobody prepared for me. Uh, nothing in life had prepared me for how painful that would be. Mm. And it was an extraordinarily devastating experience. And then the third time. Uh, my partner at that time got through just about got through the first eight weeks um and and then uh it didn't go a- any further than that and and again you know again, one of the most painful things i've ever experienced um sort of so all these three incredibly painful things and what's interesting for me is that uh, i can't think of a time um in fact every single time people were surprised at my reaction <laughs> so yeah. sort of genuinely like oh my god you've got feelings about it. i was like yeah of course uh, and it's that level of surprise tells us something about the story about what's going on out there at the moment because i suspect if i went to uh, another culture even somewhere in our times now if i went to um, other cultures um, um outside of the sort of western dominated um, sort of uh, a political sphere um, uh, this sense of loss would be understood by the community I'm in hmm. I think there is certainly something about our community hmm. certainly different communities have different infrastructures and ways of uh, uh, dealing with stuff and uh, yes some might have that I think uh, you're talking a dis- disenfranchised grief because um, yes, yes. there's, there's legitimate grief and there's grief that's not legitimate. And men uh, feeling uh, bereavement around uh, a loss, a miscarriage, all the things you've mentioned. Hmm. But also um, for not becoming a father and not having those, just not becoming a father. Yeah. And the same goes for, for women as well. So childless, involuntary childless women or or 
people who are childless by circumstance, there's actually very little around their social narratives to that are acceptable to everyone. Yes, yes. Um, to to draw on. Yeah, yeah. it's it's an issue, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and is that a cross cultural thing as well? Do you think that the the lack of I, those narratives? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. it, it depends on the culture because some are very uh, strict and you behave this way and this way and this way. And some older cultures actually had those built in. Mm. It was acknowledged. But I think, yes, there's, there's something maybe to do with the Industrial Revolution and how society was built up around that yeah. that um, changed things. And what, in terms of sort of thinking about the limitations of um, particularly the fathering role as... Um, because yeah. we needed industrial labour, so we needed guys to go to factories and sort of slowly be Absolutely. killed by that. Um, yeah, you know, how, how do you know a man by by what he does outside himself? Yes, yes, and uh, and many, I, you know, the, the one of the narratives about fatherhood itself that used to exist, hopefully not so much now, was you know you would ask children um, about daddy, and the response you'd get is an absence. So they experience yeah. father as an absence because he was out sort of earning money and all that sort of stuff and um so i mean i think we we understand some of those things um yeah. and um, you're suggesting so i'm, I'm going to come back to you starting the research because i think it's really interesting response of your supervisor who said i've never heard that story before yeah and it yeah. seems to be that that's the common theme i've just never heard like when i had my grief absolutely. about sort of losing children never heard that before never heard yeah. never come across a guy being absolutely devastated by this yeah. stuff uh, absolutely, it, it's fascinating yeah. that you know when I'm on a bus stop, at the bus stop, something like that, um, you know, you just have a general chat with someone and you mention it. I'd never thought of it, and then it is, but it's obvious. Yeah, yeah. Or, well, my boyfriend, my husband, or some male relative. Oh, yeah, he's really soppy over kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. but you know, can't say that anywhere else. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I do remember going through time and again, sort of my broodiness about um, children came a little bit later because I also mm. went through a period of time when I was um, heavily drinking and uh, I came into recovery around the alcoholism and all mm. that sort of stuff. Um, so I had a second bout of it. So I had this mm. bout in my 20s uh, when I had uh, the ectopic pregnancy experience. And that really, I mean, I was like, whoa, um, that, that really switched on whatever that thing is that gets switched on about uh, wanting to be a parent um mm. and um and i had that really strong uh, then the drinking took over da, 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 da. i stopped the drinking um and uh, and then it came back again um so i had mm. a second bout um when i was in my 40s early 40s um which is mm. when i got into recovery um uh, and then um, and and i remember literally going on the dating scene um and uh, you know almost measuring women's hips yes just do you remember that experience? You were doing, you were absolutely. Doing that. It was extraordinary. Yeah. Exactly that. Absolutely extraordinary you know, experience. Bar, and just if I could have developed X-ray eyes to see ovaries, then yeah, yeah, it would have been like. I mean, it was really uh, that powerful. It was really that powerful. Yeah. Now again, it's interesting. Yeah. I've only ever really heard that narrative from women about sort of this sense of a, a, a talk about a biological clock. Um, but mm. I, but I'm guessing, and I guess your research is showing it, that uh, men are open to those types of uh, biological and hormonal processes as well. Absolutely, um, it's really interesting in reproduction how uh, 
the biological urge for men isn't really reported. Yeah. But I, I, I'm no biologist, but if uh, you've got a male and a female of a species, then you need both uh, sexes to want to reproduce at some point. But the, the narratives around men are men aren't bothered, they don't care, and they're fertile from puberty till death. Hmm. Hmm. But there's a big social thing in there. It's changing slowly, but there is a big social thing there. If you're a late onset father, let's say you're 60 and you become a dad, hmm. you're a bit of an oddity. Yeah. If you're just a normal runner, if you're uh, a Rod Stewart or somebody like that, then it's different. Hmm. They're, they're different. Maybe they've got an album to sell or whatever. Hmm. But for general run of the mill guys, some people are going to show you, but there's going to be probably some... Mm, that's a bit weird, isn't it? Him having uh, a relationship with somebody in their 30s and yeah. having a child at their age, that sort yeah. of thing. So, yeah. Hmm. But also, what you can say, uh, biologically, sperm starts to decline very slowly mm -hmm. at age 35. Hmm. Stats wise, there's I think two percent or less of fathers that are registered hmm. are age fifty or over, hmm. Hmm. and also sperm's in constant production. Hmm. Hmm. So hmm. what we do with our bodies as men directly affects our sperm. Yeah, and the older we get, the more this goes across all sexes. Uh, the more we're impacted by various rays and stuff like that so naturally our uh, gametes our sperm and our eggs aren't as good as mm. when they were yeah. when we were 21 so yeah. there's a natural degradation my eyes uh, are not as good as, as well. when i was 21 so there's lots of Absolutely. bits of me they're not as good so, as when and I was that, yeah. that biological and the social really tie up yeah. and the psychological yeah. can i just say i've got a couple of mates who are late onset fathers they became fathers in their 40s and what they said to me, because they read about my research, was, you know what, Rob? I didn't know what was missing until I became a dad. Hmm. Hmm. And the important thing there, I think, is I didn't know what was missing. So they had some sort of sense they were missing something. Hmm. And some sort of, I think from my own, I'm projecting here from my own theories, frustration. Hmm. But the, I didn't make the link. Hmm. Oh, and I didn't make the link because that link has been severed uh, in society. Yeah. It's also, Between, I mean, again, I'm going sorry. to talk from my own experience and just yeah. see whether it's backed up by your research. But, you know, one of the things that happened to me later in life um, was that I became a stepfather. Um, and it was right. an extraordinary experience uh, and, and yeah. one of the most um, incredible things. Uh, and um, uh, he is uh, uh, an absolute treasure and an absolute gift, this boy. In fact, you know, I'm, I can feel myself welling up just how much love mm. I feel for him. There's nothing biological about it in that sense. No. It's biological in the sense of it's happening inside my body and I can feel mm. it and I know that it's happening and it's real. Um, but it's it, he's not a product of my body. But um, mm. having him in my life, um, you know, has brought extraordinary joy. Um, mm. And again, that sense of, oh, I didn't know what I was missing till I got it. Um, yeah. and, and then this bundle of sort of love um, who's turning nine soon, uh, mm. uh, you know, has really transformed um, my experience of myself and my experience of the world. And uh, and again, that narrative, you know, it just seems to not be there. Um, that... Absolutely. It, it, can I just tell you, one of the guys I interviewed, uh, he's a working class guy, 
uh, he wanted to become a dad, didn't become one. And uh, he split up with his wife when he was late 30s, early 40s, found another partner and wanted to have kids with her, couldn't, got tested and found out he'd be, he was infertile. And he was infertile because uh, very solely, I think is the, the name, but the little fine tubes in your, in your testicles, very fine uh, capillaries, fused hmm. in the, uh, probably when he was 15. Hmm. Hmm. And so that made him infertile. And so they got some donor sperm and that didn't work. Hmm. And so they said, right, that's it. We're not going to become parents. However, his, her, his wife's um, niece became pregnant. She didn't have a dad through, uh, through bereavement. Hmm. And so once he found out, he said to his wife, can I ask, can I be granddad to that baby? Hmm. And so he did, and he was. So he said to me, six hours after we got the call, baby's born, we're down in the hospital, I'm handled this bundle. I've never felt such an emotion to something hmm. that I would actually give my life up hmm. for you. And he said, maybe that's the thing that men who want to become children that don't become them, they know about it, hmm. they feel it. Hmm. But that bond, that was a, that was something else. Hmm. And he said that was the difference. Yeah. I mean, it's an extraordinary feeling. Right? I mean, it's difficult. Yeah. And, and again, we're talking about um, uh, uh, the involuntary experience of being childless, not the voluntary. Because mm. there are people yeah. who choose um, to be childless and perfectly happy with that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I'm certainly, and you're not, I know, um, suggesting that uh, having a child, it, it will complete you as a human being. It was, you, no. Lots of different ways you get completed as a human being. And hopefully that never happens mm. till the day you die, to be honest. So in yeah. one sense, we're always changing and growing and developing. But mm. it, um, I, I guess we're just opening up the conversation around um, this idea of how guys can um, desire to have children as much as uh, women and, and sort of challenging the very stere stereotypical narratives about um, guys avoid that responsibility and mm. don't want it and want to uh, foist it onto um, somebody else and that somehow mm. it's not a biological imperative it's none of these things but i guess your research mm. is showing that actually it genuinely is this thing that some of us are programmed into wanting to do absolutely um yeah not only programmed but socialized into yeah wanting to be there's an expectation so there's a book called uh, the package deal yeah and all the men in that book and all the men I've spoken to said, you know, I, I expected to leave school, uh, middle class or upper class, yeah. go to university, get married, have a baby, working class, leave school, mm. get a job, get married, have a family, not have a baby, have a family. And it ends there. Mm. So that mm. arc of life, da da da, da family. Yeah. And that's the, yeah. the culmination of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you're on the arc of life and you're expecting to hit those points, you become aware a stage that actually you're not hitting that point yeah yeah and there's a, a researcher in australia a few years ago looking at women said that that's a biological clock but as important for women was a social clock yeah and the social clock of what peers culture uh a family thought about you becoming uh, a mother in their case but i think the same thing is for men as well yeah it's slightly different 
but it's the same uh, pressure. So there's a biological, but there's also a social. And that we are biological, social, psychological beings. Yeah, yeah. Everything uh, connects with everything else. Yeah. And if something's not quite there, yeah, it can have impacts. So you you've been you were doing this research, you produced mm. the research, and during the process of um, I, I guess you met a lot of guys who said, oh, thank God somebody's doing this. And, and then a lot of other bewildered responses, probably um, from uh, other people in the field, go, oh, I never really thought about this. No, it's never uh, really occurred yeah. to me. Um, so you've done this research, you've opened it up, you've begun to get it out there. Um, and what are you hoping now um, could be the, the next steps in this? Because, um, I, I mean, I guess that there, there are quite a few guys out there for whom this is quite a genuine struggle and quite a, a genuine sense of uh, loss and grief uh, who are not getting support around who might need support and um, what would you like to see happening next do you think uh well a couple of things one is i'd like that the father's um fertility history is taken at the registration of birth okay and that would immediately give the uh, stats data to know so the level tell, of tell me I don't, I don't understand tell me more about that what does okay. that mean? When, okay when a, a when a birth is registered, registered, the mother's fertility history is taken. What does that? So that's I, I don't even know what that means. A, a fertility okay, history. So, what does that mean? So, how many babies do you have? Oh, okay. I see. Right. Okay. And what age you are? So we know uh, very accurately the level of childlessness in the UK because of that. Because you can just take uh, the mothers away from the non-mothers. Hey, presto! We know it's around about twenty percent of women are childless. It's always with stats, there's a bit of rider, and it depends on which age group. But generally, it's about 20%. Ah, okay. For men, we've no idea. Right. Okay. Uh, but it's probably around about 26%, something like that. There's only one country in the world that collects that data, and that's Norway. Hmm. And it's about 19% for women and 25% for men. So that's what usually surprises people. That, that really surprises men, me. Charles, that, you've just that surprised me. All around, You've absolutely yeah. just surprised them. I mean, sort of, why is that? Why is it more men are childless? Um, uh, women can have, um, well, men who become fathers then become fathers with women who uh, also mothers or not mothers. So there's a, a smaller pool of fathers uh, compared to uh, mothers, I guess. Yeah. You just lost me. Did that make sense to you, Luke? I didn't know. I didn't... No, he was looking blank like me. Okay. Let's well, try let's that again. Go... Uh, okay. I wish Why... I hadn't known. <laughs> okay. Has so... it always been the case that there have been more men because men compete for women and da 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 da, that sort of thing? So, uh, like, if you look at. If I look at a sort of Pride of Lions, for example, there's one mm. one bloke who's got all the. Oh, mine is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, very much that, that thing. Is it that there's, thing? Okay. There's yeah. an alpha male who's. Uh, fertilizing the herd, okay, and the other males aren't. Is it literally that? It, like, it, it's, it, it's still the hangover from that sort of thing. I, I don't know. Sure, it's all that, but it's that. I don't think anybody's looked into it that way. Okay, all right. But it is that sort of thing. Right. Okay. So yeah, so there's more childless men than there are childless uh, women. Okay. Really interesting study in Finland uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, they asked all 35 year olds whether they're childless or not. And it was uh, 25% of women aged 35 were childless and 40% wow. of men, four zero. Okay. That's huge. Uh, and it is huge. And th the thing is, the majority of people 
expect they're going to become a parent later in life. Yeah. I, I know that some people are voluntary childless or childless by choice. Hmm. Uh, lots of terms around it, and it's very, very um, uh, controversial. You know, people are very sensitive about what terms you use. So I acknowledge there's lots of sensitive terms around it, just that we haven't got all a lot of time to go over it. So childless by choice or childless, uh, involuntary childless, whichever one. Yeah. Some people are like that, and that's that's fine. That's choice. And there's lots of reasons for people uh doing that Some, sometimes it's their uh, background uh, their own uh, younger years experience hmm. lots of things for for that uh, there was a study in holland of all the the childless people in a cohort uh 80 were childless by circumstance right which means they hadn't met the right partner yeah, yeah absolutely divorced absolutely. all that sort of thing 10 percent were childless by um by choice by choice, and ten percent were childless through uh, biological yeah. issues. Yeah. Okay, but eighty percent. I know that's Holland, and you can't just go well. That's for everyone, but it's indicative yeah. of uh, the nature of people expecting to become a child. There's a study in Australia of uh, so university do you, students. Do you think we need? They, to, do you think God. we need to do something about fostering and adoption? Then, if we've got significant numbers of people who are childless and want mm. to have children um do yeah. we need to do something about fostering and adoption to make it more accessible and available or, or change the way we do it in some way too yeah i think that there's something to be working around that but right. also maybe um having it in short blocks maybe so maybe yeah. it's not uh full-time but part-time yeah and, and allowing, that might be a nice way allowing of... some other type of experience of doing it. Yeah. Um, it yeah I mean, it's interesting because sort of, there have been various ways of looking at parenting and child rearing. You know, you had the kibbutz mm. and collective child rearing, and, um, you know, in the certainly in the left wing kibbutz in the early days of them, mm. uh, you weren't allowed to have an individual parent. I mean, it was a sort of no. wasn't thought of as a very cool thing to do that, you know, you had mm. the hot mother and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, I mean, that produce all sorts of problems um uh, in terms of we haven't really got on to and we're running out of time but we haven't really got on to um the actual problems and issues that come up for men who are involuntarily childless and sort of mm. what what happens to them so they experience what mental health issues um life circumstance issues what are the sort of problems that guys face absolutely well a lot of the men said this is the first time i've talked about it yeah so does that holding in yeah. does that um, not fitting in and not fitting, hitting the ideal. So there's that loss in, in that. Yeah. Um, lovely study in Sweden found out that uh, childless men and non-contact dads were at more risk of uh, suicide, Okay. risky health behaviours, smoking, drinking, dangerous driving, all those sort of things. And that's a massive study across all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so it's how people behave when they're trying to negotiate something that they feel but can't express. And they can't actually say, point to something and say, well, I'm like him, or this is where it is. Right. All, the, all you see is, men being dads men being successful yeah 
So we're we're talking about some very serious problems that are emerging. Absolutely. Because of this issue. Um, So isolation, loneliness, substance misuse, um, increased risk of suicide, I presume other self-harming behaviours. And I guess what would go with that is some of the antisocial behaviours as well. So, you know, substance misuse, particularly alcohol, would lead to antisocial behaviours. So we'll um, increase risk of... You know, if your depression will produce antisocial behaviours, twenty percent of people with depression are comorbid with anger issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So we're talking about some real hard health problems. Uh, why yeah. isn't why isn't there an outcry about this? Why because, isn't there a public health outcry? Because nobody's collected the data. Right. You know, these days you need to be evidence based practice, don't you? And evidence based um, treatments and evidence. They mean stats. But if we don't collect the stats, if it's not being recognised, hmm. then nobody's collected the stats. Uh, can I just say, uh, I'm sure this year, but certainly last year, there would have been some young men going to schools in skirts because of the weather. And this relates to the, back to the man I was talking hmm. to. And those young men are absolutely right because, you know, the testes hang out the body for a reason. Yeah, because if and you overheat them, it's really bad news. Yeah, you can yeah. get infertile. So yeah. really... They get in the paper, but does the Department of Health do anything? Yeah. Does the British Institute of Fertility Institute who who's protecting those young men and their fertility? So I think there needs to be a lot around education. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, like I said earlier about how uh, sperm's affected by the substances we put in our body directly. So there needs to be a lot about education. Sorry, oh. I've got a bit of a no, no, you haven't. No, yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking we're coming to the point where we're going to ask you for your top three tips and. I think I'm going to ask you for your top three tips in. Um, if you are a guy experiencing this, um, you know, listening to this or listening to on the mm. podcast who goes, Shit, I've never thought of it before, but that's the truth, um, yeah. you know, and probably has just burst out crying, really, and just gone, oh, that's yeah. me. Because <laughs> you know? yeah. um, that's what happened to me, and that's what usually happens, I think, uh, mm-hmm. is with the identification. And um, what are your top three tips to those guys um, for sort of dealing with that? Um, situation that they find themselves in so what would you say are the top three tips just have a think about that um so okay. i just want to round up the um, program give you a moment um we've got i think a couple of minutes left um is that right yeah, two yeah three minutes three minutes left all right so uh, give a round up of the program so um uh, sort of i mean uh, to be honest robin i think you're quite a, a, uh, an extraordinary guy um and for some reason uh, it might be that you're from manchester or working class or something you, t- you tend to downplay yourself a little bit and um i know how difficult it was to train as a therapist so i know how difficult it was to train as a therapist for you i know how difficult it was to train as a therapist with somebody who had insecurity about education so i know how difficult it was for you as well and to then do a postgraduate course without the appropriate undergraduate stuff which is my story i know how how much of a challenge that and you've definitely underplayed all of that and you've definitely underplayed uh, all the all the um gut-churning, mind-wrenching stuff that you went through to make the decision to go and do the training. As, like, it just happened, Noel. I was losing my job, so I just did it. Yeah, whatever. Like, I believe that shit. Um, so uh, I know you're downplaying it, and uh, it's up to you if you want to downplay it. But um, it's quite extraordinary, your story, as somebody who uh, was kicked in the teeth by the education system and told uh, you're a waste of time, which is essentially what they said to you, uh, who then goes off and uh, does the right thing. You did exactly the right thing. That the expectations. You got a good job. You got a, a, a mortgage. You got a, a, a pension because you were setting yourself up to to be the model 
dad, Ooh. husband, father, da 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 da. And then it didn't happen. And instead of your response being suicidal despair, which could have been what you you didn't, you turned that into something really creative, which is this fantastic research you've done to uh, shine a light on an area of functioning uh, for guys that is long overdue in my humble opinion so i want to big you up a little bit because this stuff is really really seriously important uh and and you're a really impressive guy for uh 